You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. So Jonah chapter 1, I kind of want to read some of the verses as we, as we get ready to understand what our text is this morning. So Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it. Go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So here's Jonah. He is a a prophet from the, the northern kingdom. And he's called to take the gospel outside of the people of God. Now this is a big moment because in this this moment, and unlike any other moment that you'll read in Scripture, you see a, a prophet to the people of God being called to go outside of the people of God in the Old Testament. So there's been moments in the Old Testament where a prophet's been called to maybe uh, rebuke through writing or or, or use an outside perspective to declare that these people outside of the people of God, meaning anyone who's not Jewish, to say that they're wrong, but there's never been another moment, there's never been another prophet who has been called to then go preach to people outside of the Jewish community. And so Jonah is this first one. He is called to go to this place. And and, and this is interesting because to me, this is kind of a foreshadowing picture of what Jesus is going to do with you and with, with me. Right? So before, in the Old Testament, you had the people of God, the Jewish people, and they were God's chosen people. Now when Jesus comes onto the scene a few hundred years later in the New Testament, what does he do? He opens it up to all people. And what we see in Jonah and Jonah's story is that this is kind of a, a foreshadowing picture to what's going to happen. This isn't just for the select few. God says, no, I am coming for the whole world. And you can kind of see this highlighted in John chapter 3 in the Nicodemus Jesus conversation. It's that John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus. And this is that moment. A lot of times people go, oh, this is the world. But there's also another meaning. When Jesus tells Nicodemus that he has come for the entire world, he's speaking to a a religious Jewish man. And he says, hey, no longer do do, do the ways of God only focus in on the Jewish people. Through Jesus, the gospel is going to go to the entire world world. And Jonah is the first prophet to kind of show us firsthand what this is going to look like. Now, where's Jonah called? As we talked about in the previous weeks, he's called to a place called Nineveh, which is the capital of a city, or capital of a country, I should say, named Assyria. Now, if you don't know anything about historic Assyria or Nineveh, imagine one of the most evil, cruel places on the world, in the world that you could live in. This is where Jonah is called to go and preach, you're wrong. So violent, vicious people, Jonah is called to go and tell them, hey, you're violent and vicious. What do you think Jonah's mind and heart said? No, right? I don't want to die for this. So Jonah doesn't answer the calling. Rather, he runs. He, he gets on a boat. Instead of going 500 miles to the northeast to Nineveh, 
he gets on a boat and goes 2,500 miles to the west. And Jonah is afraid to go to this place, and so he, he runs. In case you're struggling with why, why was Jonah so fearful, it would be similar. I was talking to one of our members last week. It would be as if one of us was called to go to an ISIS country, you know, a place where the, the ISIS you know, group is the strongest, and go to them and preach the gospel and say that they're wrong. I don't see many of us signing up to do that tomorrow, right? Like, it needs to be done. It's good work. But truthfully, if I walked to you and said, hey, I've got a, pl- a one-way plane ticket for you to Iran or Afghanistan or wherever their, their headquarters is now, I need you to go there and preach repentance and preach the gospel. You're going to go, I don't really want to lose my head today. I think I'm good, right? And this is where Jonah finds himself. He, he finds himself right in the middle of a, of a place where God is calling him to what he would believe would be a death sentence. So Jonah goes to run. And what do, we, what do we learn? That God is not so easily silenced. God will not be silenced. He sends a storm Jonah's way. And we learned last week that this storm is kind of a symbolic picture for all of us. That pain is the promise to bring repentance. God will allow storms and send storms into your life for the refinement of who you are. Like, if you're a Christ follower, God will allow and sometimes even send difficult times your way so that you can be a better Christ follower. We look at God as kind of this genie at times. He only ever sends good. Well, what do we talk about as parents? And parents, as parents, we want to send good things, but we also must discipline. We also must send things that are difficult to our children so that they can become the better version of themselves. And this is exactly what God does through his Holy Spirit and through creation. He sends difficult times our way so that we can become more like him. And this is a picture. When we look at Jonah running from God, I was thinking about this. And I was going, how many of us have run from God's calling in our life? Like you, you probably have a story. A moment, a time and place where you really felt like you were called to go do something. But it was a pretty difficult thing, and so you wrestled for a while. And you're like, I, I, should I do this? Can I do this? Well, you know, if God's in it, then it's going to be good, and this seems like it might be bad. Right? Have you ever said that? Have you ever prayed that? Like, God, if you're in it, I need you to make it easier. And God's sitting there going, why would I make it easier? You know, when, you, when I read this passage of Jonah, I, I reflect on my own story. I was a bonehead over and over and over and over again. And there was many times that I felt like David shaking my fist at the sky, looking at God going, do you even care? And one day, through the revelation of God's Spirit, he drew me in and he said, of course I care. I sent that your way so that you could see your brokenness to see how fallen you are. Because until you can recognize your sin and your depravity, you don't even need me. You just live your life. I should say you, you, you don't think you need me. And, and this is a moment for Jonah where God is calling him to do something. Now, your calling may not be as visible as a storm and ultimately a big fish, but Jonah's is. This is a, a moment where God sends a tenacious storm, and he makes the calling visible, not only to Jonah, but to those around him. So we're going to dive into the main meat of our text this morning. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. 
It says, then the mariners, these are kind of seamen, were afraid and each cried out to his God. This is in the middle of the storm. These fishermen, these seamen, they were afraid and they cried out to their own little G God. It says they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to, to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, Hey, what, what, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will, will give a, a thought to us that, that we may not perish. And then they, they said to one another, Come, let, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they, they cast lots and they, the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to Jonah, Tell us on whose account this evil has, has come upon us. What do you do? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is, what is your country? And of what people are you? And he says to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to Jonah, What is it that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had already told them. Now, I want to unpack this story really quickly. What kind of storm do you think sends experienced fishermen into a frenzy? I mean, think about your job, whatever expertise you find yourself in, and, and whatever proverbial storms could come your way. What would it take for you to go, wow, this is an act of God? Like, this isn't just some normal thing. I've seen all kinds of storms. I've been through all types of things. This is something quite different. And this is where these guys find themselves. It, I mean, it must have been an insane moment to drive men to prayer. I could have got a chuckle there. I appreciate that. That's fine. Imagine, seriously, what kind of storm that was that, that drew these experienced fishermen to a place where going, hey, you cry out to your God, I'm going to cry out to my God, whatever it is, hopefully they fix it because this isn't normal. This is the moment that they find themselves in. And, and so to, to help, you know, kind of ease the storm or, or make it through, what do they start doing? It says they start throwing things over the side of the boat. They start getting rid of the weight so that the boat can go. And in that moment, the captain goes, hold on now, I got... Somebody on this boat who's not helping. Jonah. He remembers Jonah. And he goes down, and Jonah is sleeping. Now, I think I, I started this service, or this, this sermon series, talking about how people find it so hard to believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. I think this, for me, might be like a harder moment to believe, right? Like, there's a massive storm that's scaring the entire crew, and this joker's asleep. How is this happening? Like, I sleep pretty well at night. I, I, I'm a hard sleeper. You can ask my wife. Like, we got 15 box fans in the house because I snore so loudly, we got to make it sound like an airplane hanger so everybody else can go to sleep. I sleep hard. But Jonah's on a whole nother level. But what we know when we break down the text is that the, the Hebrew word here, talking about his sleep, it actually implies kind of a, a heaviness, possibly maybe even an, an induced coma, one, one that comes from a great deal of stress. And so it's pretty clear when we read the text in its original language that this isn't just, ah, oh, Jonah needed a nap. 
Like he was stressed out about running from God, and possibly God has even put him under. Think, think like Ambien and alcohol type under. Like this guy is out. Like it is not happening. God has somehow put him under. Jonah is passed out. The captain wakes him up. And what happens? He urges Jonah to call out to his God. Now, he knows very little about Jonah at this point. But he says, hey, man, whatever, whatever's going on, this kind of storm, we need all hands on deck, literally. So we need you to cry out to whoever your God is. And by this point, they're going, okay, we got to figure out what's going on. We've cried out to God. Nothing's, nothing's getting better. So they begin to do what they call as casting lots. Now, there's not a ton of information known about what casting lots quite literally meant. Um, in, in the Old Testament, it's used about 70 times. In the New Testament, the, the phrasing and, and the action is used about seven different times. But what you can imagine is either maybe like flipping a coin or even better, kind of like throwing dice. So, hey, if we get a six, this is Jonah's fault kind of deal. And this is kind of what happens. It lands on a six, and everybody's going, Jonah, what did you do? Now, when we read this, I don't want you to leave going, oh, I can cast lots and just figure out, you know, what my next step in life would be. Because if you read through the scriptures and you look at those 70 and that seven times, what you'll actually notice is the seven, the, the last time that you can see the casting of the lots happening is prior to the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So you and I don't need to go, hey, I don't know what, need to, what we need to do next in our life. Maybe I should apply for this job. Maybe I should ask this girl out, whatever. If that's where you find yourself, don't go buy some dice and just throw them, right? It might land on a three or a six or whatever number you want. It might not. That probably has nothing to do with God. Like, just going to be honest. Like, it just, you threw them, and it landed. That's how that works. So the last time you see it is in, like, Acts chapter 1, verse 26, where the apostles are getting together. This is prior to the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And they're going, hey, we need to replace Judas, the bad guy. If I don't remember, you know, read about who Judas is. We need to find someone else to replace him. So they cast lots. But no more after that point. Once the Holy Spirit comes, you don't see kind of gambling for what next steps are. Like you see them going to the Word of God, and you see them asking the Holy Spirit to give them guidance and, and examples. So if you're a, a casting lotter, I would urge you to stop because it's probably not helpful for your life. Anyway, so they cast lots, and they go, oh, this is, this is Jonah. This is definitely his fault and God uses this moment to point Jonah to his betrayal. So remember, Jonah is running. He's running from the, the calling of God to go take his name to kind of a godless people. Now, I want you to see the irony here. Here is Jonah running from certainly dangerous people. But I, I think also just a sense of kind of godless people is how Jonah would have looked at the Ninevites, the Assyrians. He, he would have looked at them as people who, who did, were not connected with the Lord. And where does Jonah find himself? On a boat, in a storm, with a bunch of godless people. And what do they do? They rebuke Jonah from running from God's calling. Like, do you see this? Like, they're trying to figure out what is going on. They figure out that it's Jonah who did this, and they immediately say, hey, what are you doing running from your God? Like, you professed faith. You had a calling, 
and then you ran? What, what sense does that make? Have you found yourself in a similar situation? Here's what I mean. You're a professing Christian, possibly. Maybe it's been at work. Maybe it's been at a party. Whatever. And you've done something in that moment. And the people around you, maybe even the non-Christians, look, look at you and go, didn't you say you were a Christian or something? My dad, uh, this is probably not the greatest example, but when I was a kid, uh, my dad and I used to like roughhouse, right? We just like play around, wrestle, all those kind of things. And we, we were at my grandmother's house, and uh, she had recently been uh, married to, to another guy, not my grandfather. And he, he was a little crazy. It's all right, but, you know, he is. And we're kind of roughhousing. And just, I mean, I'm like eight years old or something like that. And we're just, I mean, we're probably breaking lamps, all kinds of things. Maybe not that intense, but we're roughhousing. And at one point, this guy looks at my dad, you say you're a pastor and all, right? Because we're roughhousing with my kid. My, my dad's like, I'm not allowed to wrestle. With what verse is that in hesitations? Like, where did I see that at? But I, I do think, I think about that moment, and I go, I, I think there's moments in our life as Christ followers, we've stumbled, we've slipped. And maybe it's been in a public way, and the world around us, the unchristians, the non-Christians, unchristians, that's great English, look at us and go, haven't haven't you said you follow Jesus? And I think Jonah's kind of finding himself in this moment like, I, I, I've said that I follow God, even in my declaration to these fishermen. What did he say? I, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, I, 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 I follow the God who created the dry land and the sea. Like, he has a declaration and an understanding of who God is. But yet, when God has called him to something, he said no. And this is a moment that his actions don't support his stated beliefs. And I think this is a little teaching point that you and I can come up to. Number one, there's grace in the, in the moment. Like if you've fallen short of the glory of God, welcome to humanity, right? But the second thing is as a Christ follower, you need to recognize that you've done that and just turn back to him. Like go, like, hey, I've messed up, I get it, but there's grace at the foot of the cross, and so you don't have to stay in this place where you feel like you're locked in your room, like you're being disciplined as a child. God's just saying, come back. Come back to me. But I think God is also pointing us and Jonah to something deeper in this text. He's pointing us to this idea that possibly, just possibly, I think Jonah held a perspective, and maybe you and I can hold a perspective sometimes as quote-unquote church people, that we can look at those outside of the church, outside of our, our Christian belief systems, as less than. Like, we can, we can look at them and go, look, I know God's called us to, like, minister to you people, but you're just less than. Like, and we might not actually vocalize that, but I think our actions may represent that. Like, we don't want to put ourselves in a position where we're uncomfortable or where it's messy. We, want, we like to stay in our little Christian huddles. But time and time again, throughout his word and throughout his example, both as Jesus and through his disciples, what do they model? The Christian huddle is important. Church is important. Being spurred on, gathering with the saints is important. But we say it time and time again here. We gather to scatter. We cannot love God and love people 
if we only ever look to love Christians. Jonah has called us, or God has called us, and is showing us through this story of Jonah. You cannot run from the calling of ministering to lost people. Like, they're going to be around you. And so maybe you should take heed and take this moment to go, how can I equip myself to go to the Ninevites, but also to be aware that God's put me in the middle of a boat with people who need to hear about the Lord. I have a quote from a guy named Tim Keller. He says this, we're, we're all, we are all believers and non-believers in the same boat. Never was that old saying truer than it was for Jonah. If crime plagues a community, if poor health or a water shortage or the loss of jobs, if, if an economy and social order is broken, we're all in the same boat. For a moment, Jonah lives in the same neighborhood with these sailors and the storm that threatens one person threatens the entire community. Jonah fled because he did not want to work for the good of the pagans, the Ninevites. He wanted to serve exclusively the interests of believers. But God shows him here that he is the God of all people. And Jonah needs to see himself as being part of the whole human community, not only a member of a faith community. Now you may be going, I don't know if 